Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. We're uh, going to begin this morning in Parshat Bamidbar. We are beginning the book of Numbers. So we're going to begin with the triennial reading at Numbers 314. So you can find your place. Numbers chapter 3, verse 14. We are in the fourth book, right, of the Torah. Tell me what kind of is the main thing going on in Genesis. What, what's that book about? Creation. Creation. And then... What's the other part of the book of Genesis after creation? That's only a couple chapters. So it's about building the Jewish family. Right? This is about Abraham and his family and their offspring, right? Yeah? Yeah. Then they get to be a lot. And so that's the book of Genesis. What's the book of Exodus about? The Exodus. Slavery and redemption. Thank you, Rita. Thank you, Bert. All right. Slavery. Slavery and, right, the result eventually of the end of slavery. How do we call that Jewishly? Redemption. Redemption is not from what? Sin. Sin. No sin and redemption. That is Christian. The redemption that we talk about is from slavery. So we are slaves and we are redeemed. What was Leviticus about? Laws. Eh, laws? There's laws Priest. everywhere. Priest. So it's the priest's manual, right? Because we're not sure who it's written for. Sometimes it seems it's written for the people, the laws that involve the people. Sometimes it's about the cult. So... But it is the priestly manual, right? It's the stuff that the priests are primarily concerned with. All right, so then we come to the book of Numbers. So what's Numbers about? So although this morning's shiur, this morning's class is going to be about counting, in general, the book of Numbers is not about counting. Yes, we're going to have counting now, and we're going to have counting at the end of the book, but the book of Numbers is not primarily about counting. What is it about? Wilderness. The wilderness. That's 40. 40 years. There you go. We have 40 years in the wilderness. That's counting. <laughs> All right, so I, I can't. I really can't. So creation, we we walked through that this year. We've walked through slavery to redemption, that whole experience. We and the laws associated with that. Leviticus, the priestly manual, and now we're in Numbers, the tale right of the forty years in the wilderness. We are getting here, the beginning. We're in the second year of the. Wilderness, and we're going to see what happens as part of that, and it is going to involve accounting. So, year two, what is the next set of stories we have? Year what? 40. Year 40. So, <laughs> we get stories at year two, and we get stories at year. 40. We have 38 years of the wilderness wanderings that we hear nothing about. We're going to get a census. We're going to read that today and study a little bit about that. And at 40, we're going to get a census. So we're going to get a counting of different kinds of people, which we'll look at, at year, here in year two. And then we're going to get another counting in year 40. The people counted in year two not one except Joshua and Kalev are in the next census. Moses is not counted. Moses is counting. There's a difference. Moses isn't counting himself? Moses, no, he's, he's not. Okay, because we have to talk about why we count. What, what's the purpose of counting? All right, so, so Aviva Zorenberg points really 
poignantly, actually, to this fact, that, that Bamidbar is really a book about loss. It's a book about disappearance. Right. It's a book about absence. When you count at year 40, however many people there are, there's not this many people, right? I mean, in other words, the numbers may be the same, but no bodies counted here that's counted here. So the second counting is also about absence. Who's not here? An entire generation, right? That's why they're wandering 40 years in the desert because that whole generation had to die out, right? Given what goes on that we'll get to. Um, we've read ahead a couple times, right? Um, it's a huge, it's a huge loss and gap that's in here. We hear nothing of a 38-year dying. Is it nothing about survival as well as absence? Well, we can talk about that, but, Richard. But the fact is, nobody survives. That in this in this process of being in the wilderness for 38 years, the community collapses. Okay, so right, that's kind of the core here is collapse. Is it rebirth? Is it something new? Is it a rebuilding of the community? That what, right? So th th these are the themes. Is it reconstructing, maybe? Um, yes, Rita? I was going to ask all the other books. Um, are exactly to almost translation of what the theme is. Numbers, why isn't it called what it is in Hebrew, Bamidbar, why isn't it called wilderness in English when all the others kind of follow the theme? Yeah, good question. So one of the ways the rabbis refer to this book is Sefer HaPikudim, the book of countings. So even in rabbinic tradition, it's this first parsha is all about counting. And so they call it Sefer HaPikudim, which is, you know, so e even in Jewish tradition, it's, um, it's been referred to by this business of counting. It turns out, I guess, that uh, the children of Israel are a very young tribe by the end because they're wandering just for 38 years. Everybody's, so everybody's 38 years and below. <laughs> uh, so you've got a lot, of, uh, a lot of youngsters. Well, no, no. They're older than that. Some of them are 58. It was everybody age 20 and over that had to die. Everybody who could have fought and didn't fight at that last straw that broke the divine back, right? Like 20 years and up. So there were some 20-year-olds or 19-year-olds who would have been wandering for 38 years. But yes... Conceivably, it is a young population, younger population that moves in right to the promised land. And we have to look at the power of a census, too. Yes, we will. Counting, as we're doing right now in this country, it tells a lot more than just the number. And it will there. It can. Yeah, it can, right. Right, depending on... How, who, and how right. one counts, right. and what the purpose of counting is, right? So that's what we're going to look at. Let's look. Let's go there. All right. So we're going to start at the triennial division, as we are wont to do. So the triennial portion. We're in the last third of every Torah portion. So this year's triennial for Bamidbar, this first parsha, is we start at chapter three, verse fourteen. But we're going to look some other places um, in the text as well. All right. So let's start there. The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, saying, Record the Levites by ancestral house and by clan. Record every male among them from the age of one month up. So Moses recorded them at the command of the Lord as he was bidden. These were the sons of Levi by name, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. These were the names of the sons of Gershon by clan, Libni and Shimei. The sons of Kohath by clan, Amram and Ishar. Hebron and Uziel, the sons of Merari by clan, Mali and Mushi. 
what it says. That's <laughs> his name. You, you, you say it with such interest oh. and passion. Yes. I thought it was a Japanese dessert. Yeah, I, I know. All right. Go on, Bert. Oh, it's I get all the easy names. Yeah, right. These were the clans of the Levites within their ancestral of the Levites within their ancestral houses. To Gershon belonged the clan of the Libnites and the clan of the Shimonites, the Shimeites. Those were the clans of the Gershonites. The recorded entries of all their males from the age of one month up as recorded came to 7,500. The clans of the Gershonites were to camp behind the tabernacle to the west. The chieftain of the ancestral house of the Gershonites was Eliasaph, son of Lael. The duties of the Gershonites in the tent of meeting comprised the tabernacle, the tent, its covering, and the screen for the entrance of the tent to meeting. The hangings of the enclosure, the screen for the entrance of the enclosure which surrounds the tabernacle, the cords thereof, and the altar. All the surface service connected with these. To Kohats? To Kohats belonged the clan of the Amramites, the clan of the Isarites, the clan of the Hebronites, and the clan of the Uzielites. These were the clans of the Kohites. All the listed males from the age of one month up came to 8,600 attending to the duties of the sanctuary. All right, so you get the idea. Right? This goes on to Merari, belonging the clans, right, of the Machlites and the Mushites, right? So this goes on and on for a bit here in terms of taking this particular census. What Ta- is a clan? It seems obvious. Sure I understand it here. A very large extended family unit. Or of several families. Several yes. Families. Yes. But with, yes. But with one ancestor? Would it be several families? With, is there a blood connection between everybody in the clan? Yes. yes there is. Oh. Not in tribes, however. <laughs> you know what? I don't, I don't know the ethnography of, of tribe versus clan. Tribe is larger. But in Hebrew, they just call it the family. They don't even use the word for clan in Hebrew. The translation doesn't seem exactly accurate. Right. So this is the place where biblical scholars come in and translate family as clan because it's not the same family as we would understand family. Right? They, you know, they, they know biblically what mishpacha meant. And in, in the ancient Near East, at this time, in Mesopotamia, mishpacha would have meant what we would translate as clan. And, and the Gershonites are one of the tribe. Gershon was a tribe. It's a tribe. Correct. Yeah, one of the 12. Right. So then you have the clans that are part of the tribe the same name. of Gershon. Right? You might want to notice that in the sanctuary, each of the rows is named after a tribe. Um, all right, so tell me, we just looked at chapter 3, verse 14, yes? Yes. Look at 15. All right, Rita, I'm not going to get to do this very much longer because you're leaving us for Portland. Um, so while you're here, expect it to be like this. Um, tell me the Hebrew word used for counting there, Rita. Oh, yeah, it's what, like you said, the code. right. The code. What 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 Hebrew word are we used to seeing for counting? Least poor. Least poor. Exactly. Very interesting. All right, we're going to go there. But first, here we get a bunch of slaves, numberless. I mean, they are numbers. They are not people, right? They are a workforce. They are property. They are a resource. For Pharaoh, right? They are anonymous. Less than human. Right? They are subhuman. They are, right? So, um, so they, that's where they're coming from. Now they're going to be counted, and how are they counted? By name. Ha- count them, right? By the name of their ancestral house and their clan. All right, so I'm going to remind us of what happened in the book. Remember, the 
priestly manual, Leviticus, gets stuck between Exodus and Numbers, right? We interrupt the narrative of Exodus. We leave Egypt, and boom, we get all this priestly material. Then we resume the narrative of having left Egypt at now, okay? So Leviticus, take it out of your memory. It's out. We ended at crossing the sea. Yay, we're free, right? So... That's the end of Exodus, and now we start here. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. Um, so that, that's where we are in the narrative. So let's go back to that beginning of that story that we just left. The be- we, we, we know the end, because we're picking up from there, but what was the beginning? I'm going to remind you, in case you forgot. These are the names of the descendants of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each coming with their household. This is from the book of, beginning of the book of Exodus. What happens next? They come down to Egypt by name. They become slaves. Well, in Bereshit, in Genesis, they come down to Egypt, and we're told like they've descended to Egypt. What happens next? There comes a new king over Mitzrayim who what? Who knew not Joseph. So they're named, all the descendants of Jacob are named to come down to Egypt. There arises a new Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. And Pharaoh says, at this point, the one who didn't know Joseph says what? They've become too numerous. They number too many. So they move from being a name to a number. They move from being names to being too many. They are numbers now. All Pharaoh sees is numbers. <coughs> so let us deal shrewdly with them and let us oppress them. What always happens when we move from being names, individuals, to being numbers, what always happens? Oppression. Always. Because if you're not human, really, we don't really need to worry, do we, about what we do to you. And if there's so many of you, this was Jeffrey Dahmer's argument, by the way, why are you all freaking out? that I killed however many young women. There are so many people on this planet. Like way too many people on this planet. He could not understand. It's part of his illness, obviously. He's crazy, but but, I want to be clear. Like, but... He could, that I'm not following his line of life, but, but right, but that's a line of, but do, do you hear the resonance? Is that, that there's so many, the, the few don't matter. Who cares about doing a service to get rid of someone? Right? So it, the, as soon as we start having people be numbers, nobody knows this better than we as a people who know people living still who have a number tattooed on their arm. Right. The moment you become a number, you become less than human, and what always happens as a result of that is oppression. Always. Because why else do you turn individuals into numbers unless, right, unless the motive is to treat them as less than human? So those two things go hand in hand. So that's the beginning of the book of Exodus. That's why I'm interested in this word. They went from being named families, clans, tribes, unique individuals, to being too many, to being just numbers, then therefore oppressed. How are we talking about counting now? Pakad. What's the word pakad? Where do we know this word from? I'm thinking of Pekudai. Is it related? Is it the same root? Yes. As what? It's about counting. Mm-hmm. How do we know this? It's from, I'll give you a hint. It's from tefillah, it's from prayer. Do, 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 do. It's from the Amidah. It's from the feminizing of part. Ha, 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 ha. Here's someone who davens every morning. 
God remember Magain Avraham Upokade Sarah God who pakads Sarah when did God pakad Sarah took note of Sarah and what happened as a result of God taking note of Sarah she got pregnant okay so pakad is a good thing right there are times when we get verbs about God and you that it's not a good thing in the Bible, right? But pakading is good. Pakad is to take notice in a good way, to take interest. And it doesn't always mean pregnancy. It means no, no, but, but a, no, no. <laughs> Taking notice does not always mean making someone pregnant. No, I want to be very clear. I'll get letters from the podcast that say... Um, so to take notice, to have an interest in, and for Sarah, the only thing she wanted from God was a baby. A baby. So when God pakads her, her, her greatest longing is fulfilled. So God pakading is a good thing. Our deepest longings as individuals, as unique individuals is fulfilled. One thing bothers me, and that is that you said that the counting was for men. And you're talking about Sarah being vacated, but no other women, it sounds like, are being vacated. Okay, so let's so we're gonna talk about that. All right. So but it helps you all remember it, doesn't it? Yes. If I start using the English, you'll forget what was that but if we stay with Pakad, you don't forget. Right? Yes, Audrey. I, I just, what does P-K-D three. I, I know what you're saying, the angel. It's the root. It's the root. It's the root. It means that. Okay. Secondly, Pakad is Pakad. Is it written anywhere? Is it written um, of any other time when God Pakaded someone? Not making them pregnant, but, you know, we are always so raised. We are always wanting. And they always prayed and wanted. Is there any record of that? Uh, I don't know outside of Sarah if we have an individual report of that. Is that the word that's used when God remembers the suffering of the Israelites? That's a different word. What is it? What's the word? I forget. You forget. forget. You don't remember. No, it's remember. In English, it's remember. See what I did there? Okay, so you... God remembered as if God could forget, and that's a whole other theological question. What's the word? What's the word? For remember. Zahor. Zahor, right. Didn't Hannah have a child? She did. She did. What? Hannah, the mother of Samuel? Yeah, good. Yes. Yes. Th- th- these are our core stories about women. Our core stories about, in the ancient Near East, what's the only thing that gives a woman status? Right. Sons. It is always about a son. That is how status is, is, are your, is protected, is developed. You're nothing without a son. Nothing. And so every time we see the core stories of women and God and God does something good for them, it means they have a son. Rachel, Leah, Rebecca, all, all those stories, right, are all about having sons. And Sarah's handmaid. <laughs> Absolutely. So they're all, right, Hagar, it's, it's all about sons. What is it for men? What do men pray for? What do men need in the ancient Near East? <laughs> Our sons also. What do they pray for in the ancient Near East in the Bible? Men. Sons. No, they do not. Deliverance from my enemies. Think of Psalm 23. You set a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Right? It is victory in war. It is victory in battle. It is keeping one's territory and family safe from slavery. Because if you lose a battle, your women and children become slaves or are murdered on the spot. Depends what the conquering army is interested in. Right? They're raped and taken as slaves. So victory is what men pray for. Sons is what women pray for. All right. Yes. I have a question about what Bert said 
with the Amidah and with the name of Sarah, the matriarchs in the Amidah. So that wasn't in our liturgy until women were ordained as rabbis, and then our matriarchs were noticed mm-hmm. in the Amidah. Ah, ha, ha. Beautiful. Beautiful. Right, but what she's saying, she's playing with Pocade. She's saying that wasn't there. Pocade wasn't there until the matriarchs were Pocaded by the Jewish community who said it's time for us to notice in those texts there's not just Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's also Sarah, Becca, Rachel, and Leah. Right, so when we Pocaded that as a people... Right? Pakad shows up in the liturgy. Beautiful. But not, conservatively. Not, the not, not But not the reconstructionists. <laughs> not, I don't think the reconstructionists be as rot. Help. Yeah. Sarah. Right. Okay. Okay, it is in the conservative. Or, or reform. I'm not sure. All right. So let's. What am I doing? Teaching Torah. I'm teaching Torah. Thank you, Bert, <laughs> for the reminder. <laughs> All right. Go to your source sheet that I gave you. I somehow don't have one. Yeah. No, the source sheet. Hey, you want yeah. Over meatballs? Yeah. This. Yeah, and that, too. That would be good, in case we get there. We may get there, we may not. So that, if you'll give that to Robert. Okay. Hang with me. We're okay. We're okay. We're good. Everybody good? All right. I made this public on the website Safaria, so you can find it. Do you all know? I've told you about Safaria. That's where I create these sheets and where you can look up sheets that other people have created on any topic. Um, Sepharia.org. It is amazing. Like Sefer, like a book. And it's an app as well. So you can read the entire Torah there. Um, and all, it's all Jewish uh, sacred literature is there. The Talmud, commentary on Torah, everything is there. Everything. So you can look up a keyword and see all of the appearances of that word in, throughout the generations uh, of Jewish writings. And you can create source sheets. So you just type in you know, numbers one, two, three, whoop, there it goes, in Hebrew and in English. All right. Now I've told you how easy this was. I felt stupid. That was really stupid. I labored forever cutting and pasting these texts. All right. So let's look at the first census which is the very beginning of the book of Numbers. I, usually I make you flip back and forth in the book, but I, I decided to be kind today. And I put them here on another sheet for you. Numbers ver- chapter 1, the very beginning of the book of Numbers. Chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. Bert, read it, Take please. Take a census of the whole Israelite community by the clans of its ancestral houses, listing the names every male head by head. You and Aaron shall record them by their groups, from the age of 20 years up, all those in Israel who are able to bear arms. Okay. Rita, shouldn't have told us you were moving. So uh, what is the word used for counting now? Aha. Count the heads. Okay. <laughs> you can't move. I think that, that was how our original voting was done in the United States. They counted heads. Men, men that own property. Right. Three fifths of every state. Se'u. Se'u Rosh. Et Rosh. Kol Adapane Yisrael. From the general population. Right? A Daza community. So take accounting. How do you say count? What does it literally mean? Yes, we know it means counting. I get that. We're saying that it means counting. I understand that. What does se'u et rosh literally mean? Literally. Carry the head. Lift up the head. Are you seeing a theme here? Recognition, yeah. human recognition of a person. 
how do we recognize someone? If someone's walking like this, or like when I went to school at Northwestern and everybody had a parka and a hood and they're walking like, you know, how do you know who it is that says hello? When they lift their head. But also if you lift somebody else's head, it's a recognition of their value. It's a sense like you are something. So we have to, we have to go to the many okay. meetings of recognize. So I can't, I don't recognize you until your face is, or until I can see your face. Which means already I care that you're not just a human. I can tell you're a human in your parka. Mm-hmm. I don't need you to lift your face for me to know you're a human being walking. Number seven that I saw on this sidewalk. Mm-hmm. Right? That's a number. When you lift the face, now you are, you are unique. I recognize you. And when we recognize people, right, we use that word also to say, what did you just say? We acknowledge people as unique individuals. We use that word in English too. I recognize you means, oh, that's Jody Briskin, right? But it also means, I re- we use that word to say she got a lot of recognition, which means positive attention. Kind of like this. Are we seeing a theme? Yes. Someone had a hand. One of the funniest things I ever saw was in a Middle Eastern country, a group of eight Muslim women in full black hador with the face covering posing for a photograph. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's me, the third one on the left. I remember because she kept elbowing me, Martha. She kept all right. No recognition. Right. Right. Because that's the point. Yes. That's the point of that garb. Right. Is to have women not be recognized by anyone in the public sphere. They are only women. Generic. Female. Generic. Now, what does that result in in those cultures? Oh. Oppression. Disempowerment. Oppression. 100%. As we would define it. Yeah. As we would define it. <laughs> um, and to your point, I'm very sensitive, as you know, as a cultural anthropologist, I'm very sensitive to ethnocentrism. I do want to say, however, objectively speaking, I do believe the treatment of women as anonymous and as not individuals and disempowered in the public sphere does give men power to treat them however they want to in private. So now they may not judge that as a bad thing, but we know what it means is women do not have the power to control their own reproductive destinies, to control their own uh, safety in many cases, their own. Right? So I'm not going to say if that's good or bad, but I'm going to say it is disempowered. The minute we are anonymous, we are disempowered. And if people think that's a good thing, that's fine. I'm not going to argue with them. That's a good thing. Fine. All right. Take a census of the whole. Who do we really need here? The names of every male. Capable of carrying arms. Who can bear arms? Okay, but let's. Age 20 and above. Right. Age 20 and above, because what are they going to be? Soldiers. They're going to be soldiers. And what is the Hebrew for that, Rita? Rita. <laughs> <laughs> Sabah comes from Sabah. Kol what? Kol Yotzei Sabah. Kol Yotzei Sabah. Who will go out in the, I don't know, All right. Kol Yotzei Sabah literally means what? Who will go out in the army. Who will go out in the military. Right? That's literally what Kol Yotzei Sabah means. We're counting all of those who will go out. Yotzei, go out. Right? What do we call the leaving Egypt? Yitziat Mitzrayim, the going out from Egypt. Yotzei, to go out. Who will go out? Tzava, to the army. Why does Moshe, why, why is God telling Moshe to count the people who are going to go out to the army? 
Good, good. <laughs> may sound obvious, but that's going to be important, right? This is not a vacation. They are not hanging out on the coast in Sinai at these lovely resort hotels saying, whoo, wasn't that slavery thing something? <laughs> I am so glad we are free. Can I have another uh, Bloody Mary, please? Like this. This is not a safari. This is a military campaign. They are going to the conquest. They are going to take the promised land. People already live there. Oh, yeah. It's not an empty piece of huge property. People live there. Who lives there? The Canaanites live there. So if you're going to go take the promised land, it's not like you're going to take the key to your bungalow. You're going to go fight. And what happens in the wilderness? What goes on in, in a place like the Midbar? Starvation. You you have a you have a massive group that includes women, children. What happens in a place like the Midbar? Wild animals can come for sure, but what's even worse than wild animals? Attacks by other moving nomadic peoples. Your women and children are chattel, possibly. They are a target. You do not move through a place like the Midbar without military formation. You need to protect your old, your sick, your animals, right? You, they, and then maybe your women. And your women, <laughs> yes. Sorry, I didn't mean to put them last, Linda. Um, right. So this is, this is not... So it, this is not extra. This is necessary. You need to know how many men do you have to defend the population and how many men do you have? Say Amalek, for instance, comes over the next sand dune and attacks. You need to know how many people you have to deploy so you know how many people can stay back. It is critical, this counting. Critical. But it makes Correct. So you just answered your own question <laughs> from earlier, right? right? Exactly. That's why the women are not counted, right? They are among those that the tzava is protecting. All right. Um, but even I want to draw our attention to the fact that even though what they're being counted for is. To be a fighting force, what is the word used about counting them? Lift up the head of each one of them. Yes, they are going to be a force. That force is made up of individuals. (coughs) And still to this day, if you're in Israel, you see very clearly how soldiers are treated in Israel particularly the fallen. There is a very, very clear attention to each soldier as an individual. When Gilad Shalit was kidnapped, I was there with a group. It seems whenever war breaks out in Israel, I am there with a group. Not the last time. Not the last time. That's true. Our trip, that did not happen. Maybe maybe it's the children. I don't know that wreck it all. I don't know. So um, Gilad Shalit was kidnapped, right? There were three soldiers kidnapped. And Israel went to war. Three soldiers. Right. Why? Every, every, every person counts. In America, we've expressed it a lot as we leave no one behind. Well, we also talk about collateral damage. What, that's, another, right, that's, that's another thing. I'm talking right now about the ways that even though it's going to be a force, even though it's an army, even though it's a military, lift up. The, this is about service. This is about dignity. This is about having, participating as an individual in something that matters. You matter to the effort. However many other people are contributing to that effort, you matter. I was just going to add, they t- in Israel, they take care of the war widows who receive pensions as if their husband was 
alive and rising through the ranks. We keep getting So recognizing even after he's dead or she's dead, who they are and who they would have been. Okay, if you think about it too, the American, uh, say the Army, they're known by numbers. That's, that's their, you don't know their names, you know they're known by their numbers. All right, let's go to chapter 3, verse 15. Record the Levites by ancestral housing, by clan. Record every male among them from the age of one month up. So Moses recorded them at the command of Yodhei as he was bidden. Okay, what's the Hebrew here? Pakod, we get Pakod again. Look at verse, what's 9 and 7? Look at verse 16. Tetzayin, Rita. What's different a little bit there? What, how, what does it say in Hebrew there? Yeah. What's the command? Yeah, Vayif code. And he took notice of the... So Vayif code. So there's a modern Hebrew word that is very close to the sound of Yif code. What is it? And it's related. Yif code. Tafkid. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's like your, it's for this your role. Yes. Tafkid, your role. So already in the language, yif code. Here we're we're hearing yif code. You will count very close to the word tafkid, which is a role. And we're gonna get later the verb hefkid. Give the Levites the role. Give them the job. Hefkeid. So it's not even an inference. We're going to get the verb hefkeid, but I want you to hear that within hefkeid, hefkeid. It's there. Pakad is in hefkeid. It is absolutely linguistically related that counting in this sense is about giving people a role. Giving them purpose. Specific. Specific. Thank you, Sarah. Specific purpose. Not just generically you exist and it's good to have a lot of people because you're more likely to win. They have specific roles. They matter. matter. Exactly. Let the language evolve according to the needs of what has to be expressed. Uh, Absolutely. That's how every language evolves, right? All right, so I want to, I'm going to lose my train of thought if we don't go on. So Numbers chapter 1, imagine that, me losing my train of thought. Numbers chapter 1, verses 49 through 53, Bert. Do not on any account enroll the tribe of Levi, Levi, or take a census of them with the Israelites. You shall put the Levites in charge of the tabernacle of the pack, all its furnishings and everything that pertains to it. They shall carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings and they shall tend it and they shall camp around the tabernacle. When the tabernacle is to set out, the Levites shall take it down, and when the tabernacle is to be pitched, the Levites shall set it up. Any outsider who encroaches shall be put to death. The Israelites shall encamp troop by troop, each man with his division and each under his standard. The Levites, however, shall camp around the tabernacle of the pack that wrath may not strike the Israelite community. The Levites shall stand guard around the tabernacle of the pack. Okay. So, the tribe of Levi, you shall not count with the general population, right? The et rosham lotisa, and their heads you shall not lift up with the rest of the general population. Go to the third line, those of you who read Hebrew, go to the third line in the Hebrew. Ve'ata hefked et There it is. You shall you shall give them the role, the responsibility of blah 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 that Bert just said. Right? So there it is. Pakad right inside Hefked. You will give them the specific job of setting up and breaking down the Mishkan and the tabernacle and taking all the appurtenances thereof, blah 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 blah. I'm looking for my verse that I want to quote now. They are not part of the army, though. They are not 
part of the army. But they have an important hey, protective yeah. role. Guards, but they're not. Mm. But they got they, they protect the tabernacle. Yeah, yeah. But they're not looking to them to go. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, well, it's in our next text. Text number four. From the age of 30 years up to the age of 50. That's the age of service of the Levites. All who are subject oh. <laughs> to service. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> to perform the task of the tent of meeting. Yeah, the Bible got there ahead of me. Okay, so um, from the age of 30 years to the age of 50, those, meaning those who are going to serve in the tasks of the, yes, of the tent of meeting. All right, so, Rita, tell me how, <laughs> aren't you glad you came today? I know, she shouldn't be moving to Portland. What can I tell you? All right, so... Yeah, she needs to, you do need to Skype in. That's exactly right. From now on, you're going to be Skyping in. All right. So how does Torah talk about the Levites are not Yotzei Tzava. They are not going to be in the army, to go out to the army. That's for the general population. What, what, what's the, the wording used in the Hebrew for what they are doing? Every what? Kol, we're getting the same setup. Kol what? Oh, look at that, will you? What does that say? Oh, Kol Ba Litzava. Rita, what does that mean? Oh, all who come to the army. Huh. Well, how can that be? So what's the, what's the only word that changes between the general population and the Levites? Go out changes to come in. What kind of sense does that make? They're a different kind of army. Ah, ha, 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 ha. So clearly, clearly, right here in Torah, it shows us, putting these verses next to each other, it shows us, Sava cannot mean what? Army. Cannot mean yeah. army. Because the Levites don't serve in the army, but they are kol ba litzava. The They are considered the ones who come in to the tzava. So now we have to go, okay, we were so comfortable with tzava meaning army, but it can't. So what does it mean? Service. Well, here it says service. The service, yeah. Okay, the service. the service. Yes, but not service. That's avodah. Right. Right? You see the difference? What does the service mean? Mm, I don't know that it's specific. Guarding the tent. What's the difference between ser- coming into service and coming into the service? Service of God. Nope, that's avodah. The service would mean military. Nope. The service is a group of people who are protecting, who are doing something together. That's it. If you're coming into service, I could do that in my garage by sorting food and bringing it to the food shelf. That's me coming into service. Me coming into the service is me coming into an organized group of people who have a specific purpose. Yes? Like the Levites. Like the Levites. So, so I like a different word for tzava, not the service. What do I like, you think? Well, here we sometimes use think, service meaning army. Think Star Wars. Ah. <laughs> the force. You're coming into the force. I like that word, right? The army air force, right? The, right, the army forces. So the Levites are coming, so the general population goes out to the force. What do the Levites do? They come in to the force. Huh. They have different tafkidim. They have different roles. 
They have different responsibilities. They have different meaning and purpose for their participation in whatever, because they're, they're not all doing the same thing in the army. You've got infantry, you've got the tanks, you've got military intelligence. You, no, they're not all doing the same thing. They each have a specific job <laughs> dedicated to right, the, the mission, whatever the main mission is. The general population has a mission, Yotzeitzava, going out to do that. The Levites have a mission to come in to do that. Uh, was any part of the mission actually defense of the, uh, the tabernacle? 100%. I mean, you know, they carry... 100%. From whom? Who are the Levites guarding the Mishkan from? Israelites. So the tzava of the general population is to protect everybody, including the Mishkan, from attack, from the outside. To defend the inside, yeah? From the outside. They are at the perimeter between the inner and the outer. The Levite's job is to protect the Mishkan from the Israelites. Their work is to go from it. Did you not read the text? What happens if a regular Israelite encroaches on the Mishkan? Of course. We just read it. Mot Yumat. Of course. Right? We've talked about this how many times? The nuclear power plant. You go in there and you're not properly ready. What happens? Boom. Zappage occurs. Amy, wouldn't it make sense to look at this if you were organizing this whole effort in year two or 40? You say, I'm going to get my army and they're going to go out, but we need somebody, group inside, to protect our homes, our valuables, the Mishkan. That would still be the Tzava. Wouldn't you look at that this way? No. The Levites are protecting the Mishkan from the Israelites. From the Israelites. They are guarding, we read, they are guarding to keep them safe. To keep them safe. Okay, so wait, we're, you know me, we're, you, know, we're, we're, you know me, we're not stopping there, right? No. So where else do we see there is a perimeter set around a space, and if an Israelite touches it, the mountain of when, when? When Moses went up. And what was happening when Moses went up? Ten Commandments. Moshe gets the entire Torah. Of course. That's heresy, Bert. That he only got the Ten Commandments? That's heresy. So Moshe gets the entire Torah. God comes down onto Sinai, supercharges the mountain. Smoke. Thunder, lightning, smoke, everything. They see thunder. They see voices. Whatever that. Like, so it's a supernatural light. experience. They're not allowed to touch that supercharged mountain. This is the moment of revelation. This is the moment that God makes contact with the Israelite people. When on our calendar does that event happen? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. <laughs> Tomorrow. Tomorrow night is Erev Shavuot. Shavuot, the holiday of Shavuot, is on Sunday. That is the moment. It is the parallel experience. That is the point of the Mishkan. The point of the tabernacle is to be portable Sinai. It is Sinai made portable. It is the Sinai laptop. <laughs> yes, think of you know the biggest computer we have somewhere. That is Sinai and Revelation. And then you have your laptop or your iPad or your telephone. That is the Mishkan. Right? So you have this huge experience of Sinai. How do we keep that alive? How do we keep the sense that it didn't happen just once? That it's happening Hayom. You stand before me, Hayom, today, says the text. How do we make sure we know it's today for the Israelites? They have the Mishkan. They have the tabernacle. Because what happens when everything works right in the tabernacle? What happens? What's the point? 
people, work with me. No, no, no. no. Thank you. I'm like working so hard. I'm burning so many calories right now. Okay, so you, when everything works right, what is the point of building the tabernacle? What does Torah say? They are mikdash. They shall make me a sanctuary. And what comes after that? Bishachanti bitocham. And I will dwell among them. The point when everything runs like it's supposed to with the tabernacle and, of course, later the temple, the divine presence rests in the tabernacle above the ark, right? Among the people, just like at Sinai. It is a way to recreate the Sinai experience because without that, we are meaningless. There's no point. The whole enterprise is about bringing the divine presence into the midst of our community. And if we're not going to do that, let's go home. If this doesn't lead us to bringing the divine through us into the world and impacting the world, then who cares? Right? So we have to keep the Sinai moment alive. So we have it portable. But you have several different roles. It's not just so that we go, yay, we have the divine presence. We have the divine presence. What is the point of having the divine presence be among the people of Israel? What's the point? Act in a godly way. So that we become what? Ah, Thank you, Bob. The whole thing is becoming or lagoyim, a light unto the nations. It was never meant. This is going to say I'm going to say something radical now. It was never meant just for the Jewish people. The original vision is bayom hahu yiyeh Adonai echad ushmo echad. The original vision, we say it at the end of Alenu, on that day, God will be, and God's name will be, what does that mean? We don't like to talk like this as Jews. We don't like to talk like this because we are living after the Roman persecutions for proselytizing. But I'll tell you in this room and to the thousands of people listening on the podcast, it was supposed to be for everybody. The Jewish enterprise, oh, I won't say Jewish because there was no Jewish. The Israelite enterprise was supposed to impact everybody. Everybody would get it finally. Adonai Echad. And we would all call God by the same Name. That was the original vision. Is that it wasn't enough for the Levim, the Levites, Balatzava, to come in and serve, bringing the, you know, helping affect the divine presence dwelling among the people of Israel. We also need Yotzeitzava, those whose focus turns outward. Our obligation is to take this inner experience and to share it with the world in a way that we become an example or la goyim to inspire others to go, huh, they're living such a wonderful, amazing, moral and ethical life of value and they are so kind and compassionate and forgiving. I want to know more about what that religion is, right? Exactly right. That was always the vision. So, like, for me, this is the perfect message for the times that we're living in. Because where else am I going to be able to turn on CNN, look at what's happening, and not become a raving, ranting lunatic? What is the only way for me to deal with that craziness that we see right now? Right? I got to dig in this room. I got to dig in here. At 11.15, I need to sit in meditation. I need to reflect. I need to calm down. I need to re... Whatever. Refocus. I need y'all. We need each other. We need to study. We need to engage. 
then we need to take that and allow that to impact how we are out in the world in every conversation we have about the absolute craziness that's going on in our country right now. The point was never to keep it within the circle. We need Yotzei Tzava. We need to go out into the world. We need to be about, yes, our specific way of feeling like we are connected to those things that we would call godliness. Yes, that's critical. Look look who you're talking to, right? Like, I believe there's a a place for the role of specifically being about the ways we do it as Jews, right? Like, job security. We need... We need specifically Jewish settings and times and practices and texts and traditions and, and oral histories and culture and art and all those things. We need our unique perspective, yes. And we need to be people who are ready to to show up to be part of that force. And we need we must be able to take that out and impact the community, the city, the state, the country, the world outside of these walls, or else there's no point. So when we say that we have 20 people at Torah study, yeah, but really, that's not how I think about it, right? I think about Jody being at Torah study, right? I think about David being at Torah study, and now Lisa's at Torah study, so she can see what the heck goes on around here, and what what efforts she's right. She's part of the force now. She needs to know why. What what is her? What is she helping? What's the project? Can she really serve in the force if she doesn't know the point of the force? This is the point. This is what we're here for. This is what Ki is here for, right? This is our mishkan, and we need. Everyone to come here, to participate, to contribute as only uniquely you can, each of you. And we need people to go out um, who are ready to take that message out into the world. I want to close with the teaching of the Sfat Emet as we come to Shavuot. The other way that this is referenced counting, otam. you shall count them, otam. what is their... their what a Gil, Gilgal is a circle. They're heads. You shall count them by their circles that are sitting on top of their necks. <laughs> right? Google Otam. 600,000 Le Google Otam we get elsewhere that Revelation was about 600,000 circles on necks. We only talked about that with cattle. <laughs> um, so, right, so the Torah says at Revelation, at the moment of Revelation, 600,000 Gilgulim got the Torah. And the Sephardimet says, why do they have to say that? Like, why doesn't it just say the people received the Torah? Why does it have to say 600,000 circles on necks received the Torah? And the Sephardimet teaches that because it had one of those 600,000 heads What's inside a head? Brain. If we're getting Torah, what does the brain do? Thinks. If we're getting Torah and we're dealing with the brain, what does the brain do with getting Torah? Interprets it. Interprets it. Had one brain been missing, had one of the 600,000 interpretations been missing, revelation would have been incomplete. The Sfatimet says that's the real teaching of why it says 600,000 Gilgulim received Torah, because it wasn't given to a people as a unit. It was given to 600,000 minds and hearts. And every one of those minds and hearts interpretation of what was received was critical for revelation to be complete. Of course, we don't believe this happened once. We're doing Shavuot again. It is not like, oh, that happened. Okay, we're done, right? We continue to observe a holiday, a sacred occasion about this experience. And I think this interpretation holds still. Every one of our minds and hearts is necessary. Our particular crazy, out of our own history, interpretation of these teachings is necessary for revelation to continue.
if we believe God calls Hayom this day, the only way God continues to call and, and be able to continue to reveal Torah is for us to study Torah. There can't be a new interpretation if there's nobody interpreting. If a Jew interprets in a tree in a forest, right? you know, there's no, there's, there's, revelation stops. Revelation ends if we are not constantly engaging and interpreting Torah, the Jewish people, and the world, need us to continue to engage in revelation that we might continue in some way to contribute or lagoyim that we continue in some way as the Jewish people, as we always have, to contribute some kind of light to the family of nations. Shabbat Shalom. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.